Almost Awakened podcast, a no-nonsense approach to spirituality with your hosts, Brittany Hartley and Bill Reed. Here we dive deep into the wisdom traditions while acknowledging insightful breakthroughs in science, psychology, and human development. Our goal is to explore the good life and the very best of spirituality, no-nonsense required. Check us out at almostawaken.org, where you can check out past episodes, make a donation, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources we shared. And now, today's podcast episode. And here we are, another episode of the Almost Awakened podcast. I am one of your hosts, Bill Rio. I'm Britt Hartley. And excited for this conversation. Britt, you've got some cool things going on in your world. Tell us uh, tell us about that. I do. Well, first I want to say that our last episode on um, attachment styles, I think for all of our episodes, like it reminds me of things or I'll want to do more work in a certain space. But I think of all the episodes that we've done, that one, when we finished that episode, I really sat back and said like, ooh, like I've got some work to do. And so of all the episodes that we've done, I mean, <laughs> I like started having conversations with siblings and parents. And it was like this whole thing of like, um, let's talk about this. And so for those of you who missed last week, my internet was in and out and I super apologize. I, um, you know, when that happens, that's super bummer. But Bill just had, did such a good job putting that stuff together. And if you missed it, really go back and watch that episode because that um, was the start of a lot of conversations in my family and a lot of deep work. That was some good stuff. Yeah, so I forwarded all, some that. things onto my kids and <clears throat> and apologized for uh, kind of some of my own parenting. And I recognized how my attachment style parenting led to my children's attachment style and there's some dysfunction there as you're kind of hinting at as well and um i i also pass some information along and and i've tried to make it in recent years to be really safe if my kids ever want to talk those things out um yeah but, for me yeah, I, had this, I feel like i'm I, a different person and i don't want to be yeah I had this narrative in my head of i moved a lot when i was a kid so like oh like Sometimes I don't really dig into deep relationships because, you know, when I was younger, I moved a lot and that was really painful every time I moved. That was like kind of my self-explanation. And then after the podcast last week, I was like, mm, I think that may be a little bit of self-delusion. <laughs> I think there was more there. So mm. anyway, if you missed that episode, really we go back and look at it. Yeah, because I had to dig through some self-delusion and really face some of the dynamics in my family. And we, I learned a lot about my family. I learned a lot about myself. I was inspired to, you know, really check on my kids. It was a really great episode. And uh, if you missed it, go back and watch it. But the big thing I wanted to announce in my corner is that is a project that I've been working on for an entire year. And it is um, releasing my Reconstructing Spirituality course, which I am just so excited to finally have put together. It has all my best stories and guided meditations and a workbook and resources for rebuilding your spiritual home. And so just really quickly, I won't get into all of it. I'll have links for it. But um, just really quickly, I feel like people who experience a really big faith deconstruction, like that spiritual home was like bulldozed 
uh, a lot of times, and I've been talking to people for, you know, years and years and years about their fate. A lot of times it's really hard to rebuild because the tools that you would rebuild, use to rebuild, like have poison on them because they were messed up with all these other beliefs. Then you have all this trauma. And so it can be like years long process. Yeah. So there it is on my website, no nonsense, spirituality.com under courses. And what I really wanted to do is for you and me, Bill, like from when we started first started to ask questions, which was over 10 years ago to now where we feel mm -hmm. like uh, we're kind of on the other side of that kind of really digging into second half of life. That was a long time. That was a solid decade of um, a lot of pain and kind of blindly trying to figure things out. And how do I want to do this? And what do we do with Christmas now? And what, what is my meaning and purpose? And how do I grieve? And all of the things that you're trying to replace from your old foundation. And so what this course is, which I'm really excited about, is a template for you to say, okay, like rather than be super overwhelmed, let's just look at the science of this, where you are with this, your beliefs about this, where you want to go with this, let's break it down into a template and really start rebuilding that spiritual home that is, um, you know, lends towards your human flourishing, lends towards those later stages of, of human development, but it's uniquely you. And a lot of times that process can be really long and really painful and really lonely. So if you've ever listened to this podcast and thought, maybe I should do spiritual direction with Brit, or maybe, um, or I'd really love to explore that deeper with someone. This is all of my best materials that I use with clients. Usually we do uh, shadow work. We dig into morality. How do you do morality when you've kind of unpacked some religion? How do we do death and your existential fears, which religion keeps at bay? What are your rituals? What are your family rituals? What is your sacred story? What is your meaning and purpose? Um, inner child work, shadow work, the science of awe and transcendence, a contemplation practice. And I condensed it down as much as I could to a really easy to follow template for you to really reconstruct your spiritual home. It took me um, a lot of work and years and years of study um, so that hopefully that process of going from faith crisis to, you know, flourishing hopefully will be shorter and less painful for you than, than it was for me. So if you are interested in that, uh, I just released it. It's really for the cost of one therapy appointment and it's like years worth of therapy. And uh, I'm super proud of it. And check it out on my website, nonsensespirituality.com. A lot of a lot of my best resources in there for, for really um, rebuilding your spiritual home and being focused on what you want to do with your life. And uh, I'll tell you too, yeah. Britt, the, yeah, yeah. I, so the the thing that crossed my mind is we've been talking about like someone needs to kind of create new paths to to having kind of a system or a program in place. And you know, you've been praising John Ogden and others as we've interviewed them, folks that are attempting to do that. But I just want to note, like, kudos to you for also um, doing parts of this and creating something that others behind you can can learn from and, uh, and like you said, quicken uh, the awakening process so that they can flourish sooner once the crisis starts. And so I applaud you for doing what you did. Thank you. So I get a lot of, 
personal meaning and purpose by trying to make this process easier for people. Cause I just, I remember, you know, 12 years ago when we kind of started this journey, there wasn't the resources that there is now. And um, it didn't need to be as long and painful for me as it was. And so I'm hoping to make that easier for, for others. And I put a lot of um, study and really my best material in it. So uh, check it out if that applies to you. Okay, but yeah, for and, and today, I think you said two hundred bucks is nothing. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, a little bit of a what I what I cover is like months and months with with you know with the average client that I've had. I know that there's certain things that will have to hit, and so rather than do that over over the course of a year, you know, you can really do that um, on your own time at home, um, which is especially great for if you're working and you have, um, or you have kids at home, that kind of thing. So I really wanted to make this work available for everyone. So speaking of one of the things that we'll touch today is, um, awe and transcendence and contemplation practices, which is kind of one part of spirituality. And it can be a tricky one to develop when you're really wrestling with what do I believe about God anymore? And that kind of stuff. So I think today we're going to dig into kind of the science of awe and transcendence, which some people just call God, um, but we don't necessarily have to use that word. There are other words for that. Some people call it the divine. Some people that call that just awe or transcendence or self-transcendence. But there's this one study that I wanted to show you guys. And then this tree that's super interesting that gives you a lot of options for how humans experience this. So awe experiences are what psychologists call self-transcendent. They shift attention away from ourselves and help us to feel like we're part of something greater. It makes us more generous. It kind of changes our concept of time. So you can think of like a waterfall, the Taj Mahal, Redwood Forest, Grand Canyon, you know, looking at the stars. Um, one experience that everyone has, if you've had this experience, is like when astronauts go to space and they look back at the Earth, um, which I obviously haven't had, but that sounds cool. Um, a child being born, um, a concert, a Beethoven symphony, whatever it is that gives you kind of that deep feeling of awe. And so for a long time, awe was really ignored by kind of science and psychology because it's woo. And then in 2003, there was this huge paper done on awe, on the concept of awe, and they kind of started to organize it. So for you, Bill, like how, how would you say like you experienced awe when you were in and how did you, ex how do you experience awe now when you're out? of like an organized religion. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. So um, let me think this through. So um, all in the life behind me being active in a religious system, anytime something was taught that uh, whether it was true or not, that reinforced my belief in that system, I would get goosebumps and, you know, hair on my neck would stand up. And I would call that the spirit and would see that as a spiritual experience. Uh, on this side of life, having deconstructed that, realizing that many of those stories that I got goosebumps over weren't, weren't even true. Um, what I find now is anytime I feel connection to my inner self, to the extent that I can feel and sense myself wanting to get better and working at it, um, anytime I feel connection with other human beings, and I make space that they are 
just like me experiencing uh, a, a different life, but because of a different set of circumstances. And then also connection with the greater universe when I realize things um, that play out in terms of evolution or uh, how humans have developed and why we behave the way we do and sensing how connected we all are as part of the, as Eckhart Tolle says, and I always say this quote, uh, we are the universe expressing itself as a human for a little while. Um, the, every time I recognize and note like how connected I am to the universe because I'm also part of it and a little bit of a downer, but also sense how alone I am as well, um, which is kind of a negative feeling sometimes with that, but I'm also in awe of it as well. And I, I also would call that spirituality, learning to sit with negative emotions too. So th that's how I would name it. Yeah, that's interesting because part of the definition that I actually cut out was that awe can have negative and positive emotions attached to it. So that feeling like you're just a speck in the universe, that can have a lot of awe, but that can also have some negative feelings of like, what even is the point of this, right? So it can be both, it can have positive and negative feelings, um, which is rare because usually, usually um, certain states kind of have a positive or negative one or the other, but this one, you can have both. But I would say, would you say that you experience awe more often on this side of life? Significantly more often. Hmm. Yeah, I would say that like, just like in little moments and things like that, I would say that too. So in this paper, it also seems to be connected yeah. more to reality. Yeah. So if I were to answer that question, I did experience uh, like I really loved getting into a really expansive doctrine about where we came from and who we are and where we're going. And that would give me a sense of awe, like, wow, we are all kind of a part of the same story. Right. And this is the grand story. And that was that would kind of give me that feeling. But again, that was that was a story that's created rather than the actual moment of really looking at my child who's right in front of me, right? And experiencing awe that way. I had to create this really big story about how we're all interconnected and life matters and there's something, there's a bigger story going on than I can see. But I had to, I had to cut off a lot of information in order to keep that story you know, alive in my brain. So it had that sense of illusion with it. Whereas now I feel like it's less illusion. It's much more just like experiencing life right in front of me. Anyway, so this paper, there's this really big paper done in 2003. It's really the, the really the science that we have on awe. Um, we haven't had as big a one since. And the, in this paper, they said there's two things that characterize this phenomena. So one is perceived vastness. And then the other is a need for accommodation. So looking, wow, you know, something is happening, Grand Canyon, stars, my child's eyes, whatever. And then an internal need for correction, need for accommodation. And so perceived vastness can come from something, you know, really large or being presented with something really complex. Like, you know, sometimes I watch a documentary about theory of relativity and Einstein and 
I'm not quite smart enough to fully understand it all, but I definitely experience awe, like just in the complexity of some of these ideas. And then it evokes a need for accommodation. So something within us that needs to adjust in order to match kind of what we're seeing or what we're experiencing. Okay. Any comments there before we go on? I think everyone's going to define this differently um, to some extent. As you pull up the tree here in a little bit, and we'll we'll kind of show pieces and parts of this, um, you know, they've listed a, a bunch of practices, but the tree isn't limited to those. We were talking about that this morning because I kind of felt bad that some of these don't apply. And you were like, well, Bill, like, don't forget, like you do this and you do that and you do this. And these things are all contemplative and connecting you with that same source. Um, so folks don't need to feel like this is rigid, um, but these are the folks that at least got the got the ball rolling and uh, put these ideas out there. Yeah, and so as we do, I think we try to do this on most of our uh, our podcasts where we're digging into some new topic. Is we try to look into like evolutionarily, what is this tool doing for us? Right, like how did we how did we come to this? Um, which is something you and I usually like to go into. And so there was four theories to explain why we may have this feeling. So one, it could be because it prompted reverence and devotion to the communal gods or leaders and bonded a tribe together. I can see that. that that's a strong one for me. It could be because it helped us identify safe places to seek shelter. So environments with large areas to see predators. They had in this study, it showed that children um, had a preference for like elevated positions where you can see around you. So maybe there's just an evolute, like a positioning thing going on. It could be because it helps adjust our mental structures and gives us neuroplasticity. So when you're looking at the stars and you have an argument with a friend, you can kind of make that adjustment. Like, is it, do I really need to be, you know, just fueling this anger towards this person? Cause they, you know, it can give you that little bit of neuroplasticity to say, I can correct this and not get so stuck into, you know, my usual patterns, which is interesting. And then the last one that says that it um, really just helps us connect with others and connect and have that feeling that we're all humans having a human experience, like you just talked about. So, which I mean, is there one that stands out to you in those, in that list? You made mention of the, you know, being in a disagreement with a friend and uh, looking out at the stars in the night. And I'll just tell you, there's this thought that happens because we'll talk about this being part of my contemplative kind of uh, practice. And really, I don't think of it that way. It's just me and my wife going out and sitting on the trampoline, laying on the trampoline with a pillow and a blanket and just staring up at the sky and learning more about certain stars or planets. But what I notice is that in your story about the disagreement, there are times where I look out across the universe and then in my head, I also picture all the people across the planet and, and you can throw in all the other life and other things going on too. And when you realize like, Oh, I'm one person among, you know, seven, 8 billion people and that everybody's inside their head is the center of their own story Everybody is uh, got their own problems and worries and things that excite them. Um, they have an entirely different life experience, and so in this, you know, in this um, uh, this this uh, hypothetical about you know being in a disagreement with a friend or actually reality, 
it makes it really easy to go like, oh, like, is this a big deal? It, like, is this disagreement I have because they have this personality and this life experience and I have this personality and that life experience, there has to be an easier way to come back together and and to reconcile and to repair. And sometimes just sensing how small you are in the vast universe does make some of that easier. Mm, interesting. Yeah, that, I mean, it sounds simple. I just go out on the trampoline with my wife sometimes, but there was like multiple things you were talking about there. So there's some stillness. There's also some like generative practice of your visualizing something. So like that has a purpose. That's a whole contemplative practice. So, I mean, there was multiple things going on there where you look like at a simple thing, like going out on the trampoline and you may think, oh, I don't have a contemplative practice because I can't sit, you know, on a mat perfectly cross-legged, you know, for six hours. And it's like, no, you know, there was a lot of contemplation just packed into that experience. Okay. So who experiences awe? This was interesting. If you're extroverted, you're more likely to experience awe. They think it's because you're more open to new experiences. If you are quote unquote wiser, you're more likely to experience awe because you are more tolerant of uncertainty and ambiguity. And then there was one more I thought. Mm. That's gorgeous, by the way. Yeah. There was one more I thought there was. Anyway, but it was interesting that extroverted people had. Um, yeah. And if you're not comfortable with ambiguity, ambiguity, then you're less likely to experience awe. So if you really want to get stuck into like, I know this is how the world is, you're going to be less likely to have the experiences that kind of expand that because you really want to stay there. And then if you're introverted, so that you're not really going out and experiencing new things with people, and you're sure that you like have the correct worldview, that's going to really shut down your opportunities for awe. And then the psychological benefits of awe, the um did you have something there before i moved on bill uh, yeah let me say one thing which is um there's there's a new listener perhaps or new viewer uh she says could you define spirituality and then along the way as we're talking uh, her next comment is this is empathy not spirituality and um victor i don't know what victoria's uh, life experience is and what her life perspective is but i want to pause here for just a moment and kind of address that so in the old paradigm that you and I came from, we're inside a religion and a, relig and a religious spiritual experience is kind of in a certain box. The, the religion says, hey, these are the ways you get close to God. This is how you experience God. And so people coming from any sort of system may have a very limited way in which they see spirituality. Um, we're, we're trying to expand that box, Victoria, and there are a lot of experts in this field who deeply agree. Um, my One thing I would just suggest to you, and I don't mean any offense, I mean this in all seriousness, take a simple book like The Four Agreements with uh, Miguel Ruiz. And when you read that book, you realize that um, folks like Brene Brown, Jack Kornfield, Eckhart Tolle, uh, I would even go as far as saying Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson, who often disagree with each other, are often pointing us to a bigger, more grand universe and, and bigger ideas that are out there. Spiritual, and again, Britt, you can jump in when I, when I, when I, after I get done saying this, but um, I want folks to understand that spirituality, it wants you take religion and just set it off on the back burner for a moment. 
Spirituality is anything that helps us to connect with the world, uh, the life on it, and our inner selves, and anything that helps you to do that. So for instance, I consider reading Brene Brown to be a spiritual experience. Um, I consider reading Miguel Ruiz to be a spiritual experience. And those folks are absolutely teaching us as human beings to develop empathy. Because when you have empathy, you begin connecting with things around you. Whereas it may be in a previous life, I certainly did. Um, I was very shut off to seeing people who didn't belong to my system as equal to me. In some way, they were less than. It was us and them. And when I sensed that every human being was me experiencing the universe under a different set of terms and um, that I and everyone around me is an outgrowth of the creative energy of the universe, um, it begins to give you a different perspective, which as you're trying to parse those out, empathy and spirituality, the development of empathy and spirituality to me are one and the same. Yeah. So what I would say to that is that on this podcast, we've we've always kind of defined spirituality as connection to self and something bigger than you. Right. We've always kind of defined it that way, um, which is a pretty standard definition of spirituality. You can see this in, you know, multiple voices, multiple books and um, empathy, I would say, is one of the markers. Right. So if you do something and it increases greatly increases your empathy, it, you can say that you're mm. doing something spiritual. So I would say that empathy is kind of like a symptom of something deeper happening. And so as you're talking about for religion, what religion has to do is religion is a vehicle that it does act as a vehicle to spirituality for a lot of people, but it does have limitations, right? So you were talking about other people have to be less than in some way. And that instantly triggered in my mind that you know, in the system that we came from, if someone else outside of our religion had what they call the spiritual experience, we would kind of consider that less than in some way, like, like you had a little taste of it, but over here we have it more, or like you experienced the spirit, but I have the gift of the spirit and I can have it all the time. Or like you have a counterfeit love because you love someone of the same gender, right? So like everything outside your own paradigm is considered less than. And when you deepen your spirituality, it has the result of increasing your empathy so that you're able to see spirituality in more places and you're able to connect with, um, you know, more people, more experiences, really expand your life beyond kind of the little box that you were raised in. That's what I would say to that. Yeah. All right. So the psychological benefits of awe. So small self, this is actually like a psychological state. We can see it in the brain um, when you feel like you have a small self. They did, they did this um, study where they had a group of people kind of they were prompted to experience awe. They were at Yosemite and they were looking at all these kinds of things in this vast kind of forest. And then they asked the tourist to draw themselves and they drew themselves on the paper very small. And then when they asked a similar group of tourists in the middle of San Francisco to draw themselves, they kind of like drew themselves really big on the paper. And it was just like this interesting subconscious like twist wow. of like, I feel like I'm not maybe the center of the universe anymore, right? I'm, I'm part of something much bigger. 
Um, mm. Time can slow, which is interesting. It'll change our perception of time. We'll feel like we have more time than than we did when we're just kind of stuck in like the hustle and bustle of life. Um, we'll feel more connected, uh, increased positive mood, decrease of materialism. Um, and there's studies that support that, that after an awe-inducing experience, they were less motivated to do something annoying to get money. They just said like, it's not worth it. And they would just kind of stop earlier than people who didn't have an awe experience. And then generosity, which uh, Victoria brought up when she's saying empathy, all these things, empathy, generosity, these are symptoms of what's happening on the surface because something deeper is happening. Some spiritual, um, some spirituality is happening, right? So generosity, you know, they did a study where, um, and I always wanted to be a part of a study because they they're never studying the thing that they tell you that they're studying. Anyway, so they would, they made up kind of this study and one group looked at a forest of trees and one looked at a blank wall. And then the experimenter would like drop their pens and just kind of like see who helped. And the people who like kind of had more of an awe experience with the, with the eucalyptus trees would stop and pick up more pens than the ones who were just looking at just kind of a blah concrete building. And so the science of awe is super young. This is less than 15 years old. So we, there's still a lot we don't know. We don't know how children express awe. We don't know like when children, like everything is magical all the time. Like we don't know how or when those feelings of awe go away. Like when they become teenagers and angsty and don't want to go to the Grand Canyon because it's stupid. Like, how does that happen? We don't really have the studies yet. So maybe that will happen in our lifetime. How our senses are related to it, how we can teach people to experience awe. Um, can we do this in a lab? Does it have to be with more, you know, out in nature? Um, there's still a lot that we don't know about it because the science of it is really, really new. Okay. We do know that it's yeah, a good I'll thing. I'll just say Go here, Britt, yeah. just noticing, um, yeah, yeah, just uh, again, one of the things that also does this for me is uh, watching like uh, a documentary on the synchronicity of the planet, right? There's a Will Smith one that's planet Earth or something. And to realize that over billions of years, this planet has worked out processes where uh, certain environmental uh, environmental uh, happenings on one side of the globe deeply impact what happens on the other side of the globe. And it also causes us as humans, hopefully, to have more respect for the planet, to have a sense of wanting to take better care of it. I also would consider those kinds of things deeply spiritual. Um, and again, anything that causes me to show up more connected to the universe around me, including my inner self, is part of that. Yeah. And and like we said earlier, that can also, you can have with that negative feelings, right? So like when I'm watching a nature documentary and they say that the last two Northern white rhinos who are females, these are the last two. And we, in our lifetime, very soon are going to watch this species become extinct. Like I can have a, an experience of awe, like, wow, this creature had millions of years of evolution behind it, just like me but I can also cry. Like, that's so sad. Like, that's so sad to me to like, we are going to watch that species be no more. Like our kids will not ever see 
they will not experience on this earth white rhinos. Like that's so sad. <laughs> so it can't, there can be positive emotions, but there can be negative emotions too, because you know, life is real. It's both. All right. So how do you experience mm, all yes, strongly? Um, some people travel the world and become solar eclipse chasers, starry night, music art. We're going to go into kind of a, a list of how you experience awe. So what, what happens here is that when we are trying to integrate awe into our life, like we want to experience this feeling more often. We want to gather this into a regular practice. That's how, that's what we call a contemplation practice. So a contemplation practice is I experience awe when I'm go, when I go hiking, I'm going to hike every Sunday or once a month or whatever it is. That is now your contemplation practice because that is what you do to because that is how you're experiencing awe. So it's gathering these kind of singular experiences into a practice so that you have something regular in your life to turn to, to have that moment to, where you step back kind of out of your errands and who said what about who and all of that, that kind of step back moment, check in with yourself moment. Um, and I would say for both of us, this podcast is a contemplation practice for us. We mm. dig deeper into ourselves. Very much so. We're connecting with each other as friends, with our audience, to the to the audience listening. Um, we feel connected to all the people out there who are deconstructing religion and trying to figure out life. But we also really dig deep. Like I had to do some deep work last week because of the stuff that we did on attachment. So this for both of us is a contemplation practice, even though we don't look like yogis, mm. right? <laughs> okay. Very much so. I, I'll just uh, I'll just note here, Britt, that um, some of these practices, as you're pointing out, I think most of the ones that are in this tree are things that are regular occurring for the person. But as you're also pointing out, it, it may not be as regular occurring. For instance, I may only go out to the trampoline with my wife maybe six or ten times a year. Uh, it may only happen, you know, it doesn't happen in the summer because it's so dang hot here in southern Utah. But during the fall and the spring and a little bit during the winter on a nice night, uh, we'll head out there. And so these things don't have to be every week. Um, there may be exceptions to that. But for the most part, I think it's describing, as you pointed out, regular practices. Mm -hmm. This is a good question from one of our regular listeners. Does feeling spiritual, does that imply that we have a spirit or is it just an emotion? That's a good one. I would say to that and then yeah, you can. If you're asking um, me. You go. Yeah, please. No, go ahead. Okay. Um, I would say to that, um, I I don't have a belief that it's that it's coming from from a spirit that's separate from my body but i would say rather than an emotion i would call it a psychological state rather than an emotion um, because various emotions can be involved with spirituality um if i am deeply connected some with someone but it's really sad like i am crying i i'm grieving with someone right I'll have that sense of my small self. I'll have that feeling of connection with someone else, but I'll also be crying because it's a really sad, whatever. So the emotions that are involved really vary. So they can be ha happy or joyful or peaceful or grieving. Um, dark nights of the soul can be incredibly spiritual experiences. They're not fun ones. Um, psychedelic experiences can be very spiritual they can also not be fun ones. 
So I, I think rather than saying it's an emotion, because with these experiences, you'll have both positive and negative emotions. Um, it's really more like a psychological state, like a flow state. So it has a certain pattern in your brain. When you get into a flow state, like you're a surfer or you're playing your sport, you'll get into a kind of a certain psychological state in your brain that kind of matches that you're in a flow state. And we have that kind of pattern in our, in our brain for spirituality, but different emotions can come up for different people at different times. Yeah. And I'll, yeah. And I'll just say, I'll just say too, you, you know, the person here on the screen says psychological state. I like that. Thank you, Britt. I, I was thinking the same thing as you said it, that was a really great way to put it. Um, I definitely believe in spirituality and I don't think I could possibly know there is spirit. So I'm not sure there is spirit and I definitely believe in spiritual. So for me that they absolutely have to be able to have one without the other. Hmm. Okay. So I think we can show our tree on the screen now, Bill, when you get to it. Um, so yep, this, let me the do next, that. yeah, the next study that I want to show you is what they did is they said, okay, so people are experiencing awe and transcendence, and then people are making practices around that feeling. And so they started gathering, okay, what do you do where you experience this feeling? And then they started kind of jotting down everybody's responses. And then they kind of made seven groupings, which I thought just was super interesting to share because you're going to resonate with some of the branches on this tree more than others. Some of them, I really don't have anything at all. Some of them I feel like are really strong because this speaks to me. Um, so it's a really just great opportunity to say, where do I resonate? And also, is there another branch on the tree that I'm curious about that maybe I feel called to in some way that I want to try out? So the first one I would say is just like your classic stillness practice. So um, centering, yeah, centering prayer, quieting and clearing the mind, mindfulness, sitting on your mat, um, any kind of meditation practice, or even anything where you're just, the, the practice is really sitting still. And through that process, you're going to connect with yourself and you're going to connect to something bigger. Um, and there's... These are going to be deeply meditative practices and sometimes even just silence practices. Um, if it's a certain place you like to go and sit just to be quiet, you know, like you go on a walk and you sit on a bench and you sit there for a while and you're just staring at the water. That can be a deeply meditative practice just to be still. Um, yeah, the next one. I have on my list, it's somewhere else on the tree, but the next one I have on my list is generative practices. Well, first, before we go on, what what is kind of your experience, Bill, with stillness practices? Does this one really resonate with you? So a, a little bit, I don't really have any practice of sitting still in quiet spaces and um, just kind of getting into my head and, and kind of figuring out what new is going on there. But I do find that in the midst of noise and chaos around me, sometimes I can quiet my mind and really sit with an idea that was just said. So for instance, one of the things I'm really guilty of in my friend group is being a horrible listener. And it's because the way my brain works. So I'll be with five or six friends. We're having a great conversation. And one of my friends will say something incredibly insightful. And while the conversation continues, 
it's almost like I'm some other place because I'll be inside my head and everything is quiet. And I'm walking that idea out to all of its logical ends and going like, oh, like, what does that mean for this? And what does that mean for that? And then when I return to the conversation, I've I've missed the last two minutes of what people have said um, because and, and I can't help it. I try intently sometimes to go like, look, don't do that thing you do, Bill. Stay with what the conversation is being said. And within three or four minutes, my brain goes off on something that one of my friends mentioned. So I have an ability to kind of create a quiet space in my head amidst the chaos. Mm -hmm. Um, I do it a lot of times during movies. If there's a, for instance, I've told you this before, if there's a death in a movie, um, I will suddenly start to kind of have an inner meditation on death while the movie is still playing out. And then I kind of have to come back to the movie and ask my wife what just happened. Um, because I've, I've gone somewhere else for a moment as I think through that, that new thought that's, you know, going on. That's interesting. That's interesting that the time that you really want to pause is like, I need to sit back and watch how this idea connects in my brain. So like, yeah, it's a kind of watching, but instead of watching a breath, it's still very meditative, but instead of watching a breath, you're watching connections in your brain form and how that connects to everything else you know. And so that's definitely a form of meditation, even if it's only a minute in a conversation and it's not on a mat with like a certain kind of music and ringing a gong and all the things and the incense, um, just that pause is a kind of meditation. I'm gonna watch my brain for a second here before I come back and connect to these other people. I want this comment up on the screen, Britt. Again, Victoria's, and by the way, we'd love the participation, Victoria. The whole goal of this podcast is to help people understand at least the concepts as we're trying to put them out there. Um, not, no, I'm sorry, not that one, this one here. I would say that conscious, that that is consciousness, not spirituality. And, and I'll simply say, Victoria, that anything that helps you have greater awareness and helps you to be more present in the moments that you're in rather than treat the present as if it's already the past is also a form of spirituality. Yeah, I would say for these two terms, how I would differentiate it. And again, language is really tricky here because we're talking about deeply internal experiences. And so language is super tricky. Um, But for me, consciousness is just a state, right? It's just, you can, All we have really in our brain is consciousness, whatever has the light on in our brains and objects in consciousness, which is kind of our thoughts and our feelings and our emotions. These are just sensations that rise and fall in consciousness. So consciousness is just a state. It may be it may go all the way down to the cellular level. We're still trying to figure out what consciousness is. We're trying to figure out the hard problem of consciousness. Maybe for one episode, we'll dive into that. But I would say that spirituality is the path that gets you to a place of that open awareness, which some people call just pure consciousness. Um, Usually people don't walk around just in pure consciousness all the time, right? Unless you're like totally on a different planet than everybody else. So the path that you're using to get to that state, I would call spirituality. But sure, we could call that state consciousness, open awareness. Um, There's lots of words for kind of that state. Um, And I would just call spirituality what you do to get there. And then she talks later about pulling weeds, and we're definitely going to talk about that one. Um, But the next one on my list is um, generative practices. This one is probably the one that like least resonates with me. 
but generative practices, um, rather than like something meditative where you're really just watching, like in that sense, you're, you're watching, um, how an idea connects in your brain or you're watching your breath and you're watching, uh, an emotion or you're watching your thoughts, whatever it is, generative practices, you're trying to do something right? So this would be like, if you specifically go into a loving kindness meditation, like I'm going into this meditation, because I want to feel this way about humanity. Or I want to do like a visualization exercise, people do this in sports, people do this in business, people do this in mysticism, imagine that you're a tree, like what kind of tree are you, you know, um, anytime where you're like focusing that I want to do something here, rather than just watch, is something generative. So prayers are usually going to fit in here. So any kind of um, worship or prayer that you do is usually has like a purpose behind it, right? Maybe you want to have a connection to a higher power. Maybe you want a practice that helps you to tap into compassion for humans. It's kind of a devotional kind of worship right? You're either imagining something or visualizing something or wanting to feel something or wanting to worship something. Maybe you're chanting phrases about God or love or gratitude or a mantra that's trying to get you to, you know, surrender to something. These are kind of meditative practice with a very specific purpose. And I feel like this space, if you believe in God, I feel like this space has a lot more meat for you than if you don't. What do you think about that? I, I agree with you a bunch. And, I, and it also go back to what I said earlier about running through thoughts and kind of stealing the noise around me. Um, I, I think what I described probably fits better in that generative, generative practice rather than the stillness where you just kind of empty your mind out um, and, and essentially try to quiet it. Um, but I, I would say you're right. I, I think that folks that have a religious belief will tend to have a lot more focus in this branch of the tree uh, than maybe the rest of us. Yeah. I think the most experience I have with this branch is doing Sufi kinds of prayers where um, in Sufism, there's, you know, 99 names for what they call the divine. And it would be something, you know, like gratitude or something. And you would repeat the mantra over and over until eventually kind of your subconscious starts to, um, kind of talk to you and say, I should be more grateful about this, or I am grateful about that, or I shouldn't have said that to my child or whatever, just by saying kind of the mantra of that word over and over. Um, so that's a really interesting practice, but that's probably the one that I've done the most, but kind of Christian centering prayer or devotion kind of prayer or um, chanting kind of prayer. There seems to be a little bit more space for God here than maybe some of the other branches. So I don't spend a ton of time here just because that's not how I connect to spirituality in general. Um, anyway, but there's ways to do, I mean, there's ways to do that without God too. I mean, any kind of loving kindness meditation that's Buddhist, that's not necessarily um, theist in any way or visualization. You can do that just, um, just for sports. Like that doesn't even have to be related to religion at all, but any kind, yeah. Anytime you're trying to generate a certain thought, um, that has to do with spirituality, they would call that a generative practice. The next one and gardening is going to come up here is the creation process practices. So music, art, mandalas, singing. Um, I have a, 
friend who's a creative type, when we go up to this cabin for retreats, she always brings like her drum and art instruments. And she gets into this place like her sitting in open awareness, consciousness place is just this flow of creativity. And she, I just watch her and she just creates like music, art, poetry, like it just kind of flows out of her. And that's kind of her process of spirituality. Like people who are creative types can do this. And another thing to bring up is that anything on this tree can be spiritual or not spiritual, right? Which is always hard. So um, like if you are creating pottery because you really um, want to make money and like, that's the focus. Like, I really want to sell this and make money to build my brand, to do whatever that may or may not be a spiritual practice for you. That could just be your job. If you, um, are doing pottery because you're really in this deep meditative flow state and creativity is just how you're accessing that, then it can be very spiritual runners. I know runners who their run, their running practice of daily or weekly running is when they connect to nature and themselves. Like it is a deeply spiritual work. Um, and then for some people, the entire time that you're running, they think I hate myself because I want to lose 50 pounds and I'm terrible. And it's just like this negative stream of like hatred, self-hatred. And so you wouldn't know by looking at the runner who's having a spiritual practice and who is just out there because they hate themselves and how they look. And so this is all just like really internal and it could go either way. And only you really know whether you're experiencing this as a spiritual practice or not. Yeah. And I'll just, uh, what I would add is this, that um, in this branch of the tree, things that I've connect with when my mom was in hospice dying, uh, she was in a hospice room and out in the middle of the hospice facility was this big giant room for all of the loved ones of the people who were off in their rooms in the passing away process, right? The, the dying process. And every day they would bring some sort of musical performer in. And the one day it was a gentleman who played the native American flute. And I'm, I'm in my head knowing what I'm witnessing with my mom. And this guy comes in and he sits and it was basically a way for all of us loved ones to just get a break each day to sit for an hour or two and get away from the, the emotion and sadness of what's going on down the hallway and to kind of recenter, reground ourselves. And as that gentleman played for the first time, I'd never heard a native American flute before. And I sat there for maybe an hour and a half, two hours, um, just about the whole time he played. And um, I can't describe the process that was going on inside of me other than to say that it was definitely spiritual. Mm. And it was definitely, um, it, it, I want to say the word regenerative. It, it gave me like a new set of energy to go forward and kind of tackle the issue at hand again. And up until, so since that moment, from that moment forward, um, my wife doesn't like it as much. So I have to kind of pick my places, but at night I will put native American flutes on our Amazon device in our bedroom and go to sleep to it. And it is so calming. It helps me to quiet myself down. I feel, I feel relaxed. I, I can kind of reground myself. And uh, so there are moments, not just at night too, where I'll, you know, during the day where I'll just take a few minutes and take 15 minutes and listen to it. And I, I have found that 
music, although I don't play very well, listening to others who do has been a really big part of uh, my spirituality. Do you have anything personally that's like, that's that you do that's creative? Are you a creative type at all? Uh, only in terms of like researching stuff and learning <laughs> things and trying to put ideas down. And I don't know that that applies as much. Um, no, I used to write poems when I was a teenager and I thought I was pretty decent at it, but who knows? I, I don't know where those are at today. So I couldn't go back and read them, but that would be really fun to go back and Wouldn't read it? them to some see if they're really good or not. Yeah. Poetry, yeah, to see if they're yeah, any yeah. good. I'm not a I'm not a creative type, although I mm -hmm. would say researching and writing sometimes can be creative. Like you, sometimes yeah. I'm writing, and it's like I'm almost watching my brain make connections and write. Mm -hmm. So it's like you're Beautiful. you're doing it, but you're also watching yourself. Mm -hmm. which is, I guess, kind of creative, but maybe not in the same artistic way. I've, I'm sometimes jealous of people who I have some holy envy, I guess we'll call it, for people who um, really like to hang out on this branch because they always have something to offer. Like that guy, you don't know his story. He came in and he made like an offering with his music, right, that deeply impacted you. And I, I'm sometimes jealous that the creative types, you kind of have something to you have something to offer. Whereas maybe if you're a runner or you're sitting on your map, you, you don't have something tangible, you know, to kind of give to others. And I'll add one other thing too, which is that uh, certain kinds of music um, I've mentioned this on the podcast before I used to didn't even know really what reggae was. And I grew up with rap music as my preferred music style and a little bit of country too, uh, as much as those are kind of in opposition with each other. And, uh, from uh, throughout my young adulthood, all my teenage years, rap music was what I listened to. And I, I enjoyed that. And I still go back to it once in a while. But over the last two, three, four years, uh, I've really taken a liking to reggae, which is, if you listen to reggae music, it is very much like be good to the planet, be good to yourself, um, you know, um, recognize you're part of the universe. And so it really goes in line with kind of my spiritual walk. And I've found that that music is deeply impactful um, to my state of mind and my ability to kind of calm down and recenter. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. All right. The next one, this is really not one that I excel at either, is movement practices. I think we all know a person like who really has to move their body every day. And if they don't, like they're not okay, not just like in the benefits that it does to your brain, but there's something spiritual going on. So as, as Bill's pointing out, martial arts, um, any kind of like, you know, Tai Chi in the park kind of stuff, which I've always wanted to try. That's one on the list that I've never done. Um, yoga, contemplative movement, labyrinth walking. I really love that when I'm traveling, I'll always see if there's a labyrinth to walk. Um, walking meditation, Sufi dancing, which I've done, which is really cool. Martial arts. I know a lot of people who kind of blend their spirituality and martial arts. Um, and for these people really getting into their bodies is how they tap into that feeling of life, how they're tapping into this experience of awe and transcendence. And they really have to use their bodies to get there. So for me, you know, um, it's, it's not something that genuine generally speaks to me, but I know for my husband, he's a triathlete 
and I don't, I don't talk him about him very much on the podcast. He's a really private person, but um, for his triathlete training, you know, you go on two, three hour bike rides or runs and uh, he comes back in a whole different like spiritual state than when he leaves, like he comes back a whole different person. And so when we were first married, you know, sometimes I'd be annoyed at how much time he would spend training. And then as I've gotten older, you know, and I've been married this person to this person for a long time now, um, you know, I really, really support his training because I came to realize like, this is your place. Like this is your, um, this is where you're experiencing that, that little bit of correction that comes when you kind of do something that's spiritual. And he comes back a better man than when he leaves every time that he leaves to go do one of these things. Cause it's like this deep breathing that you have to do when you're trying to get into a rhythm of running or, or biking or one of these things. Um, and then, yeah, just, just the breathing and then being out in nature and moving your body gets him into a whole spiritual space that really I've never experienced because I'm, I don't know, I'm just kind of more of a head person or however my body works, but I think we all know people who, um, who do use their body is really a space of spirituality. I would only add here that I grew up playing sports. Even just the other day, I was out playing pickleball and there's something about like muscle memory. And when you do athletic things that you've been doing all your life, you as athletes sometimes talk about getting in the zone. Now, I'm 43 years old. I've got bad knees. I pulled my hamstring that night, but <laughs> there are moments where I got, you know, I hadn't never played pickleball and I haven't played anything like it for a decade or two. Pickleball is super and, fun. Yeah. And I had played tennis a little bit with my wife when we were young adults. And there's this, these moments where you kind of tap into all the practice and all the work that you put in in earlier stages of life. And I don't know how to describe it, but there is something meditative about being in like a space where you're physically exerting yourself in ways that you're trained. You've either trained your body or are training your body with repetition to be able to do certain things well. Um, I don't know. There was just a certain kind of magic to it. Yeah, there is. That's a good word for it. There is a little magic there. There are multiple kind of like spiritual heroes to me that do martial arts, um, especially like, like Brazilian jujitsu stuff where you really have to like watch like be flexible and watch your body react. And it's like a whole, it does something really magical for these people. And it's when I keep seeing it over and over as we're interviewing the, you know, lots of people who are in spirituality and stuff like that. Um, that's one that shows up a lot. There's something, yeah, there is something there about deeply connecting to your body um, that can become very profound. It's one that I don't have as much practice in, or I don't, um, like you, I have a, I have a bad knee that kind of limits me now. I tore my ACL too. I think you have a torn ACL too, didn't you? I, I have torn my right ACL once, my left ACL three times. Oh my gosh. See, I just did so, the one and it was enough to take me out and I never yeah. played soccer again, which is super, super sad for me. But anyway, but it is really interesting that you can, um, deeply connect to your body. I had one client one time who was just a body person. Like he loved, um, 
like that's really just how he experienced the world was through his body. And so it was really fun to develop a spirituality and really let him claim a movement as a spiritual practice, because he always mm. felt that me going and playing basketball with the guys and then afterwards kind of sitting out in the sun before I go out to my car, just kind of breathing. And I had, a, you know, he just, he never had gotten permission to claim that as spirituality, but for him, someone who's just really, really deeply connected to his body. Um, we kind of, not only did we give him permission, but we tweaked it a little bit so that he could really claim like, no, these body things that I do um, are deeply spiritual to me. For some people, this wasn't on the list, but I, I've seen it uh, with, um, oh, what's his name? Huston, he wrote World Religions. I'll think of it later. Um, the, the main writer of world religions, kind of this leading interfaith guy will even talk about sex as a, a deeply spiritual movement practice that some people just the connection that you get that obviously that can not be a spiritual thing, but it can also have, um, some spirituality with it, depending on your approach with it. Okay. Next. Oh, someone brought up. Yeah. Backcountry skiing is the Sorry. ultimate spiritual experience um that one yeah that's a good one i was gonna say here whenever you're stacking multiple things the more powerful the experience is gonna be so the a couple weeks ago i went to you know a cabin with some girlfriends and we went skinny dipping in the moonlight into the lake and we just laid out it was at midnight. We couldn't really, we couldn't see each other really, but we just laid out and looked at the stars. So there's multiple things going on, right? There's being, oh, Huston Smith. Thank you. Um, was the name that I was looking for there. Um, but it, there was multiple things going. So it's being out in nature and looking at the stars. There's relational meditative work because I'm in community with other women. There's my body is really involved because I jump into this cold lake, right? I'm deeply going to really enter my body and I'm going to float and I'm going to really be present with my body. There's a kind of a ritual cyclical thing going on because we're doing it under a full moon. Um, there's a stillness practice with it because, you know, we're just, we're going to, be still for a moment as we float and look at the stars. I mean, when you're stacking multiple um, approaches into one experience, um, you're really going to heighten that experience. All right. So next one is activist practices. So I would say, I would say that this would be one where you really excel bill. So this would be a kind of work where you're just helping people. So you're bringing life into the world. You're a teacher. Um, you help troubled kids. You're uh, a lawyer going to vigils, march, marches, social justice, pilgrimage, bearing witness, environmental battles, um, getting involved in a cause that is bigger than you. And that is meaningful in some way. Um, and we all know, from statistics that this is one of the ways that the youth is experiencing spirituality for many of the youth, something like black lives matter or some similar social justice movement um, is actually a spiritual experience for them. And so activist practices can be very deeply spiritual this past weekend. We just had the Boise pride parade. I, I um, went to one, I didn't go this year, but I went to one a couple years ago and it was under the banner Mormons building bridges. And I went with some, some friends to, to support 
uh, some Mormons who were in that space. And there was one experience, I'll never forget it till the day I die, but an old man looked at the sign that said Mormons building bridges and he collapsed into, he collapsed down and started bawling uncontrollably. And so I walked up to him. I don't know him. I still don't know his story. And I just hugged him because I know if you see the word Mormon and you break down into tears at a gay pride parade and you're like 65 years old, I'm going to piece together that you've got a story and you've got some deep pain. I don't know what it is, but I just held him and we just cried. One of the deepest spiritual experiences I've ever had my whole life. And I think this is a space too, you Bill, um, with the work that you do online. I, it, it's a spiritual work. You are a part of a movement that is bigger than you and that that is meaningful to you, that you want to be a part of, that you help a lot of people. Um, I would say that this is one where you really stand out. Two, two thoughts here. One is that this can also be something that hurts your spirituality. So mm. I remember being in a conversation with Thomas McConkie years ago. And I was in this stage where I'm just angry and I'm going to, I'm going to figure out how to even the score and make, make this entity of a machine that, that is the faith system I came from fix itself so that it doesn't hurt people. And he, he helped me to see that you can be so invested in making the world a better place that you are in some ways killing yourself. And, um, I don't remember all the things he said, but he really framed it so well that I've never forgotten what I felt in that conversation and what my own thoughts were, which was, if you're going to be an activist, you have to figure out a way to somewhat emotionally detach yourself from the harm that this entity or this this change you're trying to bring about, the negative that's going on there. Um, so first. Second is that... Um, you're very right in that when I first started on this path a decade ago, I wanted nothing more than my religious system to be right and true and good. So much so that to frame it as it does the, the only true church upon the earth. And I made a a decision very early on and I don't know what caused it. I, I don't know what brought me to that moment. Um, it's not something that I take credit for it. It, happened the way it happened. But I made a decision very early on that I would not trample on people at the expense of trying to make my church be what it claimed to be. And so from the very get-go, when I sensed that someone was hurting, I somehow had the ability to recognize whether their hurt was legitimate and valid and reasonable in spite of my church having the opposite view about what they were hurt over. And I don't know what that was, but yes, for for a decade, I've had the ability to sit with people and not let my own beliefs get in the way or my own religious system when I was a believer get in the way of sitting with somebody and going like, hey, what you're experiencing is real. It's reasonable. And it feels like a very genuine way to to feel having experienced what you have. Mm, That's really, that's a really good point. Because because each of these only you know kind of um, the reason why you're participating in it. So like I said earlier, like 
yes, there's a trap for each of these that activist practices can be deeply spiritual. That moment with that old man was one of the most kind of beautiful human experiences I've ever had. Um, but something like choosing some social justice battle um, and making it so you're the good guys and you don't have to change anything. And the other side are the bad guys trying to bring down America and you just have no room for anything else other than that. That's actually going to, that's essentially a new religion, right? It's a new paradigm and it's going to limit your spirituality rather than increase it because now you just have a new set of good guys and bad guys. Right. And so each of these can be spiritual. They can also be kind of traps. They can also be ego traps. You know, martial arts can be a deeply spiritual practice from people that I talk to who engage in it. You can also, you know, want to be the best fighter in the world so that you can, I don't know, have 10 wives and be the greatest in the universe, which would be more of like an ego thing, right? And so only you know, really, because we can't tell from the outside whether you're running because it's deeply connective or whether you're running because you want to get under a hundred pounds and you hate yourself. So um, it just goes to show that, you know, all of these, the intent really matters and what comes from that practice really matters. So if you're doing activist work and you feel deeply connected to the human story and wanting to do your part to make it better. That's fantastic. If you're doing activist practices because you feel great being the good guys and telling the bad guys to shove it because they're terrible people and blah, 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 then we might have to check on how is my ego getting involved in this practice? How is um, me, my tribalism getting involved in this practice and maybe limiting my spirituality and making it really a new kind of religion instead of um, a, an open spiritual experience. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you lose yourself in, in a negative hole, like you're stressed, you're, you're expending your emotional energy. You are angry all the time. You, you aren't able to kind of sit with the other parts of your life that also need attention. Um, again, like you said, every one of these branches, you can uh, get lost in it in a negative way rather than it being something that helps you awaken or helps your spirituality. Hmm. Um, it reminds me of just kind of the, the conversation we had about Teal Swan and, and how we all have to be just careful all the time because e even for people who are um, have a job to be some kind of spiritual leader, like the temptation to make some kind of ego out of it or tribalism out of it um, will always be there. And so you always have to be continually checking in, which is why we have a practice, right? To have something where we're continually checking in and having that neuroplasticity to make adjustments. So the next one is ritual and cyclical practices. So this would be like a Sabbath day um, routine, sweat lodge, building a sacred space, ceremonies, rituals, seasons. Um, people who are really drawn into spirituality from the earth, these those people that really like to hang out here. So I have a friend, you know, who's a pagan witch. She has seasonal rituals to mark certain occasions. So um, coming up, she'll have um, like a harvest dinner and everyone has to bring something like homemade from the earth, which is really cool. Um, 
during winter when things are dark, she'll, she'll kind of light a candle on winter solstice. And there's like a routine that she does with that. And so it's just very seasonal of checking as the earth changes and goes through its cycles, kind of watching your soul and what is your soul? How is your soul kind of changing through these cycles too? And kind of um, using the patterns of the earth to understand the patterns of yourself, right? So um, any kind of ritual, you know, yearly ritual that you have in your family, this would be something that it's just a pattern that's helping you return to that heartbeat, that breath of life. Um, and if you're really a nature earth person, this can be a place where you really like to hang out. So do you have any like yearly, do you have a yearly ritual? Do you do anything on, I don't know, anything? No, um, no. The, what I connected with here wasn't a story about me, but I, I recently watched uh, Michael Pollan's How to Change Your Mind documentary on Netflix. And uh, and then it got me down. Um, I was started looking up videos on um, peyote and uh, uh, what's the name of the other cactus? Um, oh, I forget. But anyway, they, they talked about the Native Americans using it in their rituals. And then once a year, as you talk about like a sweat lodge, they would they would have this psychedelic cactus they would take and any of the Native Americans who wanted to uh, take it um, would would essentially go into a tent and take it and stay there for the day. And I was just deeply fascinated by the idea of using psychedelic substances for an annual retreat where you kind of reset and think things through and essentially alter your consciousness, which is also contemplative. Anytime your brain is forced to see the world completely different than your normal way of doing it, then you're going to come away from that experience changed. And um, so not necessarily me, I don't have an annual practice uh, or ritual, but I'm very appreciative of other cultures and other people who do. Mm. Yeah. I, I don't have like a certain time where we go to a certain cabin to do psychedelic experiences with kind of a group of friends, but those are deeply, um, definitely spiritual on multiple levels, spiritual experiences. I think for me, so because I have adopted children and I, and I chose not to raise them in an organized religion, I was really probably overly, to be honest, overly self-conscious that I'm not giving these adopted kids any traditions or rituals that help them feel connected to this family. Um, and I was just kind of, I just really worried about it a lot because, um, you know, when you're deciding how you want to raise your children and especially adopted children who can often have identity issues. And so I, I have a couple, like on New Year's Eve, we, we uh, kind of write things we want to leave in the past and we put it into a fire and then we kind of write intentions on these um, like Chinese um what are they called? Lanterns. And we kind of put them into the sky or certain hot, we do certain holiday um, things for Halloween coming up. I realized that they didn't have any, if I wasn't raising them in an organized religion, we didn't have any connection to the dead members of our family. And so I wanted to put something there. And so the next one coming up for my family is when it's Halloween, we kind of do something like a day of the dead where we put out pictures of, um, people in the family who have passed on 
some of them are cousins that they remember. Some of them, you know, are, are obviously parents and grandparents. Um, but cause I just mm. wanted something there, but I, I think that's just because of the age of my kids, you know, my kids are really young. And so I wanted to have some traditions that, uh, because I was taking them away from so much ritual and tradition. So I have a few in this space that I hope that we can keep going. And then I think we're at the last mm -hmm. one. So the last one, you and I spend a lot of time. I think this one is really big for both of us, um, which is relational practices. So relational practices are deep listening, reading and writing, storytelling, story hearing, deep dialogues, council circles, people around a fire talking about life. If you crave other people as part of your spiritual life, you'll need to find ways to integrate that into your life. And again, there's been so many times where someone will say, I'm not a very spiritual person. And then it's really because they see spiritual as like meditation thing. And they don't see that them doing deep listening with their friends at a lunch can be a deeply spiritual experience, but they just had never been given permission to call it that because it doesn't look like um, prayer in a church. But uh, if you're a social person and you need humans and you need stories in order to have that connection to the broader humanity, um, relational practices can be and are very deeply spiritual. So for you and I, we spend a lot of time talking to a lot of people about deep things because I think that's a spiritual practice for both of us. Yeah. The, the way this system and by system, I mean, whether we say United States of America or whether we say the, the world at large, it has built the world a certain way. This world really could be built a million different ways, unlimited really. And the rules in the, the mores and the morals and the, the, the expectations that are placed upon us, we're expected to look, walk, talk a certain way in our society. What that does, that that's been built the way it has in order to perpetuate the system, to perpetuate uh, the collaboration, to perpetuate the agreement, uh, all of us collectively agreeing that the things in this country, for instance, mean what they do. But it's also prevented humans from fully being authentic. It's prevented humans from being fully transparent. Um, it's prevented humans from being able to work out the taboo in their life. So for instance, to be able to sit around with a group of friends who value authenticity and vulnerability, you get to ask about the taboo. You get to talk about the things that are going on in your world that aren't safe to talk about anywhere else. And I deeply believe that's spiritual. For me to sit around with my you know, 10 friends and to be talking about uh, issues in my marriage, talk about sexuality, talk about psychoactive drugs, to be able to talk about um, just the song that somebody listened to recently that they fell in love with that I'm not even aware exist. There's a chance in what they're calling a council circle where I sit around with my peers whose opinions I value, who I also see as being deeply spiritual awakened individuals, and to be able to work out all the difficult things of life that there was never even a place to have the conversation. So for instance, when people, most of our audience will recognize that when they got married, nobody taught them how to really handle parenting. Nobody taught them what sex was going to be like. Nobody told them the truths of this world. And it, now I'm 40, you know, 43 years old, I actually turned 44 on what tomorrow. 
um, 43 years old. And for the first time in my life over these last five years, I've been able to work out things that were never safe to even talk about. So there are, there's very much a deep spirituality in this, uh, in these relational practices. When you value the life experience, the opinions, um, the perspectives of your peers or some group of people around you, you get the chance to have these open conversations that are deeply impactful to your own development. Yeah, I would say, I mean, really vulnerably telling my story and hearing someone tell me their story is still one of the, like, if I wanted to like, as quick as I can have a spiritual experience, that would probably be the one that like, if I can vulnerably say what I'm really feeling and thinking, and you can too, and we can connect as humans in that, in that space, that is a temple to me. Like that is sacred ground to me um, for all the things that you're talking about. And it reminds me of, um, you know, when you do psychedelic experiences, you know, a lot of people or even people who drink alcohol or smoke marijuana or something to give them, uh, to help them bring the wall down so they can speak vulnerably. I almost feel like I'm getting to the point that I can sometimes maybe skip the psychedelic experience I just want to, you know, the afterwards where everyone kind of shares their journey on what they just went through in this super, super vulnerable space. I just want that, you know, the drugs are sometimes a vehicle to that. And now after having done that kind of quite a few times, I feel like, can we just skip, you know, this group of people, let's, let's skip the vehicle. Can we just sit around and skip to vulnerably what's going on with you in your life right now but some you know sometimes we need vehicles to help us get there but i feel like i need that less so and i just i just want to get there right away with people like what's going on with you like let's skip the how's the weather like oh i want to shoot after having those deep conversations with people going back to like how's the weather like makes me want to blow my brains out when when i think of one of the greatest council circles I sat in, it was when you, me, and Anthony Miller and Janice Spangler did a 12-part series on Buddhism for beginners. And every one of those conversations felt like an incredible spiritual experience. I remember walking away from every one of them, hanging up the 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 you know the 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 recording, the the conference call with you three, and feeling like there was nothing better I could have done with that hour to two hours than to have sat with you three and to have talked about um, really kind of the, the inner workings of life. And so I think you're, you know, you're hitting on it. I'm hitting on it. Being around folks that you can work out the, the inner and outer workings of life um, when it's the right group of people can be, can be manna. Yeah. Let's do one last question. And then I think we'll wrap up here. So the last question we had is, is I take it we're using, Um, And this is really great. These questions on, you know, what about spirituality and emotion and how is it different than consciousness? This is all like, this is, these are next level questions, right? So this uh, listener, I take it we are using the word spiritual to mean two different things here, intrinsically meaningful experience and healthy stress mitigation. So for me, how I would answer that, um, I'm not sure how you'd answer that, Bill, but for me, I would answer that the same way I kind of did with emotions is that um, spirituality is an intri- is an intrinsically meaningful experience, and I would say that the stress reduction 
is a symptom of what's going on, right? And so I've heard Sam Harris say this before that he recommends meditation for everyone, but a lot of people do meditation so I can get the healthy stress, um, you know, the release of anxiety before bed kind of stuff. And what every meditation is trying to teach you is that there's some deep, deep work going on where the results will be a lot of stress mitigation, but but that's not the purpose going into it because that's just a symptom. That's something on the surface of deeper work happening. Um, and so, you know, Sam Harris will say, yeah, meditate because it helps you keep your stress down, but he recommends meditation, even if it was a little bad for you, even if it caused your anxiety to rise, because there's something deeper going on there. That's much um, that's really important to making a life that's worth living, right? This is all pointing towards um, a life, a, a life of human flourishing that's really worth living. And so for me, um, you know, spirituality is that deep connection to self and others. There are psychological benefits. We went through some of those in that podcast. There's stress benefits, there's relational benefits, there's body benefits, there's dopamine, but I mean, there's all kinds of benefits. Um, but those are the symptoms of, of deeper work that's happening. Yeah. And I'll only, on. yeah, I'll only add something you hit on there, which is that healthy spirituality will sometimes invite you to sit with negative emotion that you've been avoiding. And so I don't think it's always about mitigating healthy stress, stress mitigation. I think sometimes spirituality is causing or inviting you to sit with the death of your mother. It's inviting you to sit with the harm you've caused in the world. Um, so again, I think you're pointing it out. Having less stress generally is probably the effect of having a healthy spirituality. But I don't think healthy stress mitigation is always um, spiritual. Yeah. Sometimes if, I think you really need to not we... avoid it. Yeah. And if we never felt negative emotions or stress because of our spirituality, that would be a sure sign that we're doing spiritual bypassing. Right. Mm. Um, and so spiritual bypassing is using any of these things to try to get out of dealing with it. Right. So yeah. if you use the belief practice, like I'm going to imagine grandma in heaven and that's my generative practice because I really miss my grandma and it gives me a lot of peace. If you never actually go through some grieving, some healthy grieving, because you're using kind of imagining grandma, um, you know, with Jesus or whatever the, the vision is. Um, it's a kind of spiritual bypassing because you're using something spiritual to avoid emo an emotion that you're not wanting to feel. Yeah. So healthy stress, I mean, stress, all the psychological benefits of spirituality, they're well-documented that um, spirituality is a part of well-being and has all kinds of benefits. Um, but there's something, you know, there's deeper work going on than just trying to keep on top of it. Our anxiety as humans. I, I just thought too, Britt, kind of a side note to this episode because of the questions that have come up. I think you and I ought to form a book list, just a list of books that you and I would recommend folks to dip their toes into what, what it is that we're hitting, trying to hit at every week. Um, because I think that'd be deeply helpful as people want to sense into what it is we're speaking about. They would have additional context and places to kind of go off and learn on their own. I think we should do also like a, 
um, you know, help us decide the next book that maybe we get the four of us or at least maybe three or four mm. of us to, together to re- to do a book and review that so that we can mm. um, dive into one of those books that has been really influential to us. So maybe the audience can help us vote. We'll maybe make a list and you can help us vote for one of those. We'll review it again because that can be really really good stuff. You know that it's good when even as we're preparing it, cause we're, you know, the podcast hosts or whatever, um, even though we're the ones saying it, we still go away after we turn off the podcast mm. and feel inspired to do better. And, um, mm. and to, you know, to continue this deep work and be more intentional with our day and our lives and all those things. That's when, you know, it's really good stuff because even the person giving the message walks away feeling that inspiration. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, we can start that list going and maybe we can review another one of our favorite books because um, spirituality, I loved the questions today, audience about how spirituality applies to all these other different words. And um, these are just obviously our opinions on how we're figuring all that out. Love it. All right. So I think that's it for on transcendence. Check out, if you want to check out that tree, um, the seven, the seven kinds of contemplation or contemplation tree. You can Google that. They also have worksheets on that website where you can print out a blank one and kind of go through and see which ones you resonate and which ones you don't resonate with. And then if you really want to deepen your work and rebuild your spiritual home, you want to kind of um, hurry that process along if it were and really dive into it. Um, please check out my website, nononsensespirituality.com. I'm really excited for the course that I just um, published. It's it's the deepest work that you can do and the most transformational work that you can do in a shorter time and with all the resources that you need. Um, it's the class that would have really, really saved, <laughs> saved me um, during my dark nights of the soul and the long process of putting my life together after, after faith transition. Um, and so I hope that that reaches you guys too. Awesome. Thanks, Brett. Thanks for putting this, uh, this week's episode together. And, uh, I hope folks find new ways to maybe practice contemplative, uh, is there any on the list after doing this episode? Is there any on the list that you think maybe you would want to try or want to experience? I know just because you've mentioned it before and again, being reminded of it here, I I'm going to go look for a labyrinth here in Southern Utah and, and figure out if there's one nearby. And if there is, I'm going to go tackle that sometime here in the next week or so. I did. So the two areas that I feel like I wanted more was because I'm kind of one of those professor types where my body is just for the purpose of moving my head from place to place. Right. Um, so I really wanted to get, connected to the earth so last year i got a beehive and that was that's been a spiritual practice for me it's been really my only experience of like Mm. deeply connecting with seasons and i've learned a ton from just like watching this beehive right um so i feel like i i love that practice now it's my only practice where i'm really kind of um integrating with the earth in any meaningful way. But the one that probably still stands out for me that I want to experience more is getting into my body more. Um, And that can be different kinds of meditation practices, or I really want to try Tai Chi. I I think that that looks so cool. I think that that I, maybe I'll look up a Tai Chi in in the park. So Bill Real is going to go find a labyrinth. I'll go find some 
lovely Chinese elders to go in the park and do some Tai Chi with, and we'll return and, and report. report. I love it. <laughs> yeah. You can't, sh- can't wash it off. Can you? <laughs> Not entirely. <laughs> no. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Brent. All right. Thanks, Bill. Great and thanks episode. our audience. Great, great, great questions, guys. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. Have a great day, everybody. And uh, you can always find out more at almostawakened.org. And uh, hope to see you guys all again next week. Thanks, everyone. This has been another Almost Awakened episode. Check us out at almostawakened.org, where you can check out past episodes, make a donation to keep this podcast running, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources shared in today's episode. For coaching opportunities or extra support, visit no nonsense spirituality.com to meet with certified spiritual director Brittany Hartman.